Our reading is 1 Samuel chapter 19. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life into his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took his oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before. Once more war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they, they fled before him. But an evil spirit before, from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with garment and put some goat's hair at the head. When Saul sent men to capture David, Michal said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in the bed so that I might kill him. But when the men entered and there was the idol in the bed and the head was some goat's hair, Saul said to Michal, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he may escape? Michal told him, he said to me, let me get away, why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Saul at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is at Naoth, at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel, standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, 
and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Siku, and he said, Where are Samuel and David? Over at Naoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why the people say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Here ends the reading. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm one of the youth pastors here at Richmond Anglican Church. I'm also uh, now the SRE coordinator. I've got to get to tack that on the end, which is fun. Uh, I get to spend a lot of my week uh, talking to youth, helping to make Friday night happen. Uh, and now I also get to go into a lot of our local primary schools and I get the joy of teaching them about Jesus, teaching them what it means to have faith. And at the moment, we're working through a very similar part of the Bible that we are working through at church. Uh, but instead of uh, spending, I don't know, 30 minutes just walking through a passage like we're about to, I get to do songs and I get to do actions and fun pictures. Uh, so as I was preparing for this sermon, I kind of had the mental picture of a, a cat and a mouse, kind of like a Tom and Jerry sort of thing where they're chasing one another. It's not terribly relevant, but hopefully that gets you in the spirit of what we're going to be doing. But before we go any further, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, thank you that we have your word written down for us to learn from. Please help our hearts, minds and lives to be open to you and how you might choose to work through us. Please help us to focus on your word now and what it has to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been getting back into 1 Samuel, seeing the shift in the way that God rules over his people, a shift from ruling through prophets and priests to instead ruling through kings. And this rule starts gorgeous man who unfortunately turns out to be vain and insecure. And we finished off our last year's series in 1 Samuel. Those of you who were with us at that time will remember Saul's insecurity and his lack of trust in God meant that he was stripped of his right to rule. He lost the right to rule over God's people. After disobeying God in favor of pleasing some of his own people, Saul gets told by the prophet Samuel in chapter 15, the very same prophet who anointed him in the first place, the same person who told him, you will be king, then tells him this in, Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Because you, King Saul, have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. And then later in that same chapter, the Lord has torn the kingdom away from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours to one who is better than you. Ouch. So what does Saul do from there? You might think uh, he would step aside. Okay, mate, you've been fired from your job as king. God, the one who you are meant to rule under, has made a decision that you're no longer fit to rule and he's going to put someone else in charge. So what do you do? Step aside, of course. But no, not Saul. Saul clings to his power. And today's chapter, chapter 19, contains both a warning and a reassurance as Saul tries his hardest 
to destroy the one who is better than him, the next king. And who is that one? Who is the one who is better than Saul? Well, we saw in chapter 16, where we jumped back into 1 Samuel three weeks ago, God chose a new king. He chose a shepherd boy named David. He was not much to look at, but we know that his heart aligned with God's. However, even though we know at this point in the story that David has been anointed, that David has been chosen, that he is the next king, that he is God's anointed, even though we know that, Saul hasn't got the memo yet. No one's told him. All Saul can do is look out for the one who is better than him, the better man, the one whom it seems like God has chosen. In chapter 17, two weeks ago, we saw David relying on God, trusting in him for victory in the famous story of David and Goliath. And whilst Saul leads the people in fear and cowardice, David stands up and leads the people to victory. And with David's victory, people naturally start to take notice, right? Who is this shepherd boy? Where did he come from? What is going on? They sing David's praises. Pete talked to us about it last week. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And we see Saul's fatal flaw, his insecurity, start to flare up. His ego and his pride is bruised, and so he tries to remove David. He tries to push him out of the picture so that he can cling to power. The very same man who hid in the baggage to avoid being seen and called out as king way back before he was chosen. That very same man now can't bear the thought of the people loving anyone more than him. Today's chapter, 1 Samuel 19, is where Saul finally snaps. Peter explained to us last week how Saul tried to put stumbling blocks in front of David to the point of offering his daughters to him to make David go fight lots of people in order to win their hand. Uh, Saul isn't winning any Father of the Year awards anytime soon, but Saul can't take it anymore because that didn't work. And so he takes matters literally into his own hands. Let's see what happens. Uh, If you have your Bibles, it'll be really helpful to have them open to 1 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to start at verse 1. Look with me. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Saul is no longer using schemes. He's no longer trying to be clever or use vague distractions. Now he's just straight up ordering his servants and his son to kill David, to do the deed. And Saul deciding to remove David here can only mean that he deep down knows that he is the one whom God has chosen to replace him. He can tell that God is with David. I mean, it was obvious in his battle against Goliath. And so Saul chooses to put himself in opposition to David. On one side, we have the king of a nation, and on the other, a shepherd. On one side, the ruler of a people in a time where war and brutality was a part of everyday life. And on the other, just one man. And on the surface of things, it does not look very good for David. But there's something that we know and that Saul 
if he probably was honest with himself deep down knows as well, and that is that it's not really Saul versus David any more than a few weeks ago it was Goliath versus David. You see, David is God's chosen king. He is the representative of God through whom God's people would be led in following the Lord. And this is really a chapter all about Saul versus God. Because against God's plan, against God's will and God's king, who is following God, Saul has no hope. And every time we see in this chapter, Saul tries to fight against the anointed king, tries to fight against David. Whenever Saul tries to get in the way of God's purpose, we see God's purpose fulfilled anyway. And we see Saul fail. We're going to kind of step through Saul's many failures in this chapter uh, and see how it all works out for him. First, we have Jonathan, Saul's own son, who can see how Saul is being unreasonable. And so instead of following Saul's instruction and going straight away and cutting off David's head, he goes and warns him. He says, David, my father's got some bad plans, but surely I can convince him otherwise. And so he turns around and he goes and acts as a mediator between David and Saul. Look with me, this is verses 4 and 5. This is Jonathan to Saul talking about David. He, that is David, has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it, and you were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And in a strange turn of events, for what seems like the first time in a couple of chapters, Saul sees reason. He actually listens. Jonathan actually here manages to get through to Saul. And in verse 6, Saul swears to Jonathan, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. And so David comes back and it's just like old times. David's there playing his harp while Saul's all stressed in the background. And it calms him, and all seems well, until war breaks out again. Because they don't live happily ever after. War breaks out, and David again does the right thing and leads the Israelites to victory. And again, Saul's jealousy and his anger spring back up. Because he just can't stand to see David succeed. And so Saul throws a spear at David while David's just chilling playing his harp for him. He tries to play the the classic uh, childhood party game of pin the David to the wall. Um, And just like me at that game in primary school, uh, Saul completely misses. David manages to elude him. And so Saul then tries something else. He tries to set a trap for him at home. But this time David's wife gets in the way. David's wife, who is also... Funnily enough, Saul's daughter, the very same daughter that Saul tried to hand off to David as a snare to him, then ends up being a snare to Saul. She pulls the old object under the blankets to look like a sleeping person trick. Uh, As far as I'm aware, this is the earliest recorded account of that, uh, and teenagers the world over have been learning from this example uh, of where it apparently went swimmingly. Unless, of course, you're Saul, in which case his plan went belly up. David escapes, 
and he goes and hangs out with his buddy Samuel, uh, most notably uh, from the book One Samuel, the book we're looking at right now. And Saul catches wind of this. He hears on the grapevine that David is hanging out with Samuel. And so he sends some guys, he sends some men, presumably some soldiers, some hired thugs to go and capture David and to bring him back to Saul, uh, not so they can make amends, but so that Saul can kill David as he's been trying to do the whole chapter. And this is where things get a little weird. Uh, The men that Saul sends, they see on the road some prophets prophesying. Say that 10 times fast. Don't actually, it's just hard to say. Uh, And they join them. These hardened men, these soldiers, these thugs, they start prophesying. A quick little aside, that word prophesying, we often take it to mean telling the future because of pop culture and movies, uh, but a more kind of accurate translation of the original meaning uh, is that it's speaking on behalf of someone. Uh, In this case, God. We don't really know the specifics, uh, but it could have been praising God. It could have been preaching. It could have been praying to him. Just that it was directly inspired by God. I like to think of it for the sake of an entertaining picture of them singing God's praises. These men, these tough men, start prophesying. And now at this point, you might think Saul would stop and he would realise that his plans keep failing, that things aren't working, something isn't right. Perhaps it's not just Saul versus David. But no. Apparently, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Uh, And if that's true, then Saul's anger and his jealousy has driven him mad. He's gone insane because he sends more guys after David. And guess what? They also start prophesying. And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And so Saul sends more men. And they also start prophesying. After three rounds of guys have done this uh, and have joined this what must by now be almost a festival of Saul's hired men prophesying to the Lord, Saul decides to go himself. If you want something done right, do it yourself. And so Saul goes, uh, look with me and let's see how it turns out for Saul. This is verses 23 and 24. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. But the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. And this is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? Saul ends our chapter stripped of his clothes, all sign that he's anyone special naked and lying on the ground. Saul, the one with all the men and the resources that he could bring to bear, had no hope of touching a hair on David's head. He ends up naked and bare before the Lord. And now in this tale of woe for Saul and daring escapes by David, as I said back at the start, there is both a reassurance and a warning for us as the reader. Because it's clear from this and from the whole story of God's people that God's plans cannot be broken. He keeps his promises and his purpose will win out. Saul 
cannot touch David. Not because David is sneaky, not because David is tricky or sly or smart, but because David is God's anointed king. David is the chosen king who would lead God's people in reliance and obedience to God. But David isn't alive today. He isn't the one leading us. Uh, And spoiler alert, David was not a perfect king. He would turn out to make quite a few very obvious and very well-documented mistakes. He didn't lead God's people perfectly. But God made some promises to David that there would be a king from his line who would be a perfect king. We read about him in that reading in Luke chapter 2. And the apostle Peter is recorded as saying in Acts chapter 2 that the promises to David are fulfilled in Jesus, who is Lord and Messiah. Jesus is God's anointed. And David, when he's fulfilling a shadow of that role, if Saul can't touch him, then nothing not the might of earthly kings, not jealous men, the words of people on the news, your co-workers, your friends, or even you can get in the way of God's purpose. In fact, God can turn sinful choices like Saul's to bring him glory. And there is a reassurance in the security of God's protection of his purpose because it means that we can't stuff it up. It means that we can freely be led by Jesus into reliance and obedience to God. Praise the Lord that despite our weakness and despite all opposition, God still works. But like I said, there is also a warning in this passage. And that is that it feels really easy to judge Saul quite harshly. But I do find as we read the Old Testament and the stories of these patriarchs of Israel and stories of the kings and the prophets. We read of their failings, their weaknesses, their fatal flaws that ultimately bring about their doom. They just seem fundamentally human, and they just seem like the rest of us, broken, without direction. And I think from today's passage, looking at Saul, we can see that it is one of the hardest things to do to admit when we are wrong and then to take action on that and step aside and let someone better than us take over. Oftentimes, I would rather make an absolute mess of something than let anybody else get any glory from it or have to share that glory with any other person. In the story of David and Goliath two weeks ago, Rick told us we aren't David. As much as we might want to see that story as a pump-up story, you can defeat your enemies, the giants in your life, with the help of God. It's just not that. Because in that story, and in today's, God does all the work through his anointed. As Rick said two weeks ago, we are not David We are not the chosen king of God's people. We don't need a pump-up speech and God to back us as we take down the enemy. No, we need someone else to fight the whole battle for us. And just like Saul, sometimes all we do is get in the way. 
In today's story, just like with David and Goliath, we're not David. David is protected from the bumbling attempts of Saul to stop God's plan and to hold on to power for himself. Saul tries his hardest to cling to his own own plans, his own power, and he keeps on sinning. And I know who that sounds like. Me and you. And there is a warning here. Don't be Saul. We can learn from him. Saul tried to be the anointed king when he wasn't. He tried to do that. He tried to fulfill the role of king without God. But what was the role of king for God's people in the first place? They were meant to lead God's people in reliance and obedience to God. And so by seizing power at all costs, by staying in the role when he was no longer meant to rule God's people, he's destined for failure and ruin. Because you can't lead God's people to God without God. It just doesn't make sense. So don't be Saul. It's so hard to realize when we might be wrong. It's so hard to let someone else take control of our lives when we think we've got it all together. But we, just like Saul, really don't. Without God's anointed to lead us, we are just aimless sheep wandering around in the wilderness, destined to lead ourselves into more and more trouble. Jesus is the fulfillment of what the kings of Israel were meant to be, and we need to let him lead us. Perhaps you've never considered that you might not be able to save yourself from yourself, that you might be your biggest problem. If that's the case, then you, just like everyone else, need Jesus. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time and you just need to work on getting out of your own way. Stop distracting yourself. Focus and trust in God. We all need to see our own failings. We all need to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves. It's part of being a Christian. Let the warning of Saul's ignorance push you towards humble acceptance of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And if you have that hope, then let the reassurance that God's plan, God's saving purpose through Jesus for you cannot be stopped. It cannot be taken away. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, in creation, future nor any power, let's hold to that. And let God rule our lives. Let's pray that we can do that. Please join me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your will for our lives written down in your word. Please help us to want to spend time in it. Please help us to want to spend time with you. Please help us, Lord, to be bold for your gospel and to not be afraid that we're going to make mistakes and stuff it up because we know we will. Dear Lord, please help us to be faithful to you. Please help us not to be like Saul. And help us to cling to the reassurance that nothing can separate us from your love. In your son's name we pray. Amen.